The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. And in our first half hour, we are talking about, we're talking to a novelist. Her name is Sharon Hart Green, and she's the author of Come Back to Me. It's a novel, and it's a story of a young Hungarian Holocaust survivor on a quest to find his sister and a separate story of a Toronto teenager whose life is shattered by her uncle's dreams. These two stories come together in Israel and they create connections between generations. So this is all about loss and trauma and memory, but it's also about the ties of family and how that weaves everything together in this story and how we can really heal even though we've been left with scars of tragedy and loss. So my guest is Sharon Green. Welcome, Sharon Hart Green. I know that you have written, um, you've written several books, correct? That's right. This is my first book of fiction. The two prior books were um, both nonfiction books. So this is my first foray into fiction. Interesting. And Sharon Hart Green received her Ph.D., In Judaic Studies from Brandeis University, Hannah's taught Hebrew and Yiddish literature at the University of Toronto, and she's the author of two scholarly works, and today we're going to talk about her first novel. So, um, Sharon, going from nonfiction to fiction, uh, you know, why did you decide to write this? What made you go in that direction? Well, that's a good question. A lot of people are surprised, in fact, because I've been teaching literature at the university for quite a few years, and they're surprised to hear that I suddenly written a novel. And I think it goes back a long time, probably goes right back to my childhood, where I was always pulled in two different directions. When I look back at it now, I, I realize that I was always pulled in the artistic direction, and I thought I was going to actually pursue a, a career in the arts, but then I, I became, I was sidelined, I guess you could say, by the academic world. I became fascinated by the study of Judaism, ended up um, pursuing that and uh, getting a PhD in Jewish literature, and he- specifically in Hebrew literature, and pursued an academic career for a long time. And, and I actually loved teaching, and I still love teaching. Mm. But I felt that that creative pull was still within me, and I wanted to do something more than teach other people's stories. I wanted to write my own story. So I sat down one day and I just started writing. And what came out was the kernel of a story that became the novel come back for me. Mm, Interesting. So was any of this story like from your dreams, from people that you knew? Is it part, you know, truth or part? how, How did that, how did you create that? 
Well, again, that's something that a lot of people want to know because um, it's often said to me after people have read it that they, they're convinced that it's written about, let's say, a, a parent or an uncle or a friend or even about that one of the characters, Susie Cohn, who's the younger woman in the story. They think that it's based on my own experiences. And I, I have to say, it really is not. It's, um, it's not based on anyone I know in particular. It's a composite, I would say, more than based on one individual. I've met many people and I've... Um, I guess collected a lot of stories, but I don't. I I can't say that it's based on any one person. But yet I'm flattered that it seems so realistic because that, of course, is the goal of the fiction writer: is to draw your reader into your world and have them feel mm. completely engaged, as if it is reality. So explain a little bit about the novel. I read a sentence or two, but explain it. And in the period of time, explain, would you call this a Holocaust novel, or would you classify it differently? Okay. Um, Well, first of all, the story is a dual narrative uh, novel in which there are two stories that are told alternatively. So each chapter, um, sorry, the two chapters go back and forth between the two stories. And the first story is about a young Holocaust survivor, a very young man named Arthur Mandelkorn, who um, survives the war but um, goes in search of his younger sister, to whom he had been very close. And they become separated during the war, and he's convinced that she's still alive. And so he goes in Mm. search of her, and this ends up taking him to... Israel in pre-state Israel, which was then Palestine, and on the way there, on the on the ship, in fact, to Palestine, he falls in love with a young woman named Fanny, who is herself a Holocaust survivor from Germany, and um, there is a love story that's woven into his story, and his search for his sister is, in a way, the however, the motivating uh, force in his tale that he's determined to find her and uncover what became of her. The alternating story is about a young woman in Toronto. She's still a teenager when the story starts, and it takes place in the late 60s. And her seemingly tranquil life is shattered after the death of her uncle, to whom she had been extremely close. Her uncle was almost like a second father to her, and he dies very young. She doesn't understand what had happened to him. What, had, you know, it, it was sudden, and her parents seemed to cover everything up. There are all kinds of secrets in her home, and this um, leads her into a troubled relationship with a charismatic young musician. And uh, the two stories are connected in that Susie Cohn is also the child of Holocaust survivors from Hungary. And you're not exactly sure as you're reading the story, readers have to put the puzzle together in a way. You're not exactly sure how Susie's story is related to Arthur Mandelkorn's. You know there are connections, and the connections start to become revealed as the story goes on. And as... As the story progresses, you start to see how the two stories come together. And then the two main characters end up um, meeting one another in Israel towards um, the end of the novel, and, and the whole story starts to become clear. And the story um, resolves itself after the Six-Day War with a, a rather unexpected resolution. 
Mm. Now, you asked about whether it's a Holocaust novel. Right. Um, I tend not to classify it that way myself. I call it a post-Holocaust novel. It's all about the consequences of war and their lingering effects on the two generations of Jewish people. Mm. The the first generation, those who survived themselves, and the children of that generation. And what those kind of consequences are, and also the possibilities of healing, and the different types of healing that are necessary for those generations. I have an interesting question I just thought of, and that is, you know, you're as a professor of Hebrew and of Yiddish, you know, that's very rich in terms of history and really understanding text. How did that help you in writing this? Well, it helped me immensely because, you know, I had been steeped in stories. Because I teach literature, I've been steeped in stories written by the great writers of the 19th and 20th centuries who wrote in Hebrew and Yiddish, uh, mostly in Eastern Europe, some in America and others in Israel in later years. And those stories are so rich in Jewish tradition and in the kinds of lives that the Jewish people had lived even prior to the war, so that I think that by absorbing so many of these stories, it helped me. You know, people often ask, was it very difficult to research your story? Because it is historical fiction, even though it's you know, 20th century historical fiction. And I have to say, I didn't have to research as much as you'd think, because I have been so immersed yeah. in yeah. this world that yeah. a lot of it I have just absorbed through reading. Well, I, I think also that, you know, there's a lot of hope in this story, particularly at the end, when yes. the main characters meet in Israel. So, yes. and, you know, I've heard those stories. I mean, I've heard stories when I was in Israel of great-grandparents or grandparents um, losing each other and then three years later finding each other. Oh, wow. And so just true. amazing, amazing stories. So there is hope, even though there was so much devastation and so much death and loss. That's right. Um, Well, you know, I think what I tried to show, and it is a hopeful book. In fact, a lot of people told me it's a very um, healing book, and it's not Mm -hmm. depressing at all considering the subject matter. In fact, I know a lot of people who say, oh, a Holocaust novel, I don't want to read about that. It's too depressing. And I say, well, you know, this isn't a a depressing book at all. It's all about helping helping oneself and, and seeing how these particular characters are somehow able to transcend their own loss. And I think this goes much yeah. beyond yes. Holocaust, the, yeah. the suffering Shoot. of the Holocaust. It can be applied to all Any, situations yeah. of loss. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you say that because what I think about is there have been times when I'm really either sad about something or stuck in something and somebody will come along. Somebody will just come along. It's almost like an angel and they'll say something to me and it's like, wow, it like unlocks it for me. And you can't, you don't know when that's going to happen. And it's happened to me recently where two or three people will just, you know, give me these car, these nuggets, if you will, when I'm feeling, you know, kind of down and I say, wow, it, it, it's that, it's that, and I think we underestimate the power of that, Sharon. Yes. Well, I think I try to show in the book, even though, you know, when you write a novel, you're not rationally thinking it through as you would when you're writing nonfiction. A lot of it's 
done through the power of imagination and inspiration. But I think in retrospect, looking back at what I wrote, um, the healing process is not based on any one thing. It's a cumulative process. So that we see in the case of Arthur Mandelkorn, for example, I don't want to give away any spoilers in the book for those who have not read it, but we see that there were, he had to go through many stages before he was able to rise above all mm-hmm. of the suffering and loss that he mm-hmm. had experienced. Yeah. And there were many things mm-hmm. that helped him along the way. There wasn't just one thing, although one of the main aspects of this healing process was participating in the uh, the work that was involved in reestablishing the Jewish state, that Mm. um, communal project Mm -hmm. was something that I think helped him, and I I observed this among many people, that when they get out of themselves and become involved in their own community, that their sense of aloneness is greatly diminished when you are part of something larger than yourself. Absolutely. You know, I find that in the work that I do because this is, this work is really my mission and, you know, interviewing people like yourself. I mean, look at the richness and the depth that I'm learning from gaining from everything that you've done and then getting it out there to the public. It's, it's very important work because I think we're not hopeful enough. And, you know, if anyone said, well, what's the, you know, what's your real mission? It's about hope. Because yes. if you see black and dark all the time, I don't care what you do, it, 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 you won't break through. That's you won't right. Break through. That's right. So, if, you know, if, you, if you confine yourself to yeah. your own sorrow and you, you surround yourself with, your, with self-pity, you know, you'll never break out of it. Because if you, but if you join with other people and realize you're not alone in your right. own suffering, right. um, that's your first step towards overcoming it. So, um, and, and this is one of the major um, lessons that's learned in the novel, although there are many lessons of various sorts. I mean, Susie Cohn, in her search for meaning in her life, and her story is very different than Arthur's. She's not a survivor herself. She's from the next generation, but she's mm-hmm. very confused about her identity. Mm-hmm. And she has to go through a very different sort of process to understand who she is and where she fits in the world. Mm-hmm. So that requires a whole other type of effort. Yeah. And, you know, we see how that works out in the novel now, as the, well. The, these, these two personalities that you're describing and these two kind of identities, yeah. have you met those people in real life or are you referring to those from the literature you've taught and the stories you've taught? Where do they come from in your <laughs> creation? Well, people always ask me, for example, they say, are you Hungarian or are you a child of survivors? Because a lot of people assume that because I'm writing about survivors from Hungary or children of survivors from Hungary that I must come from that background. Well, truthfully, I am not a child of Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. My parents were grew up and were raised in Canada, although they were originally, their, their parents were from Eastern Europe, but not from Hungary. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm not a child of survivors and I'm not Hungarian. But yet, in Toronto, where I grew up, I knew a lot of Hungarians. Um, Toronto was a place where a lot of Hungarian refugees came, especially after 1956. So I I had a lot of neighbors who were either of Hungarian origin or um, 
were children of Holocaust survivors. In fact, my very best friend was the child of Holocaust survivors as I was growing up. And I was always in her house, and I practically lived there. So, you know, I think that experience had a a very deep impact on me. So, Mm. no, they're not based on any one person that I know. Mm. It's, as I said earlier, it's kind of a composite. There's a little bit of a lot of different people. Did you find from learning from your friend, as you said, you visited her a lot, and she was a child of survivors? Yes. Um, what did you notice? Um, so this, I'm fascinated by all of this, and I'm also Jewish and am very entrenched in this, but also not a child of survivors, but right. still very, you know, interviewing a lot of people on this topic. So my question is about this friend of yours. What, how was her behavior and her attitude different from yours growing up with parents who were survivors? Well, I think she was much more confused about where she fit in 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 the world and in the Jewish mm. world. I think mm. her her sense of place was much more fragile than mine. Her parents didn't speak English very well, and yeah. I think what I've yeah. noticed not just about this particular friend but other children of survivors that they carry a huge burden that and not just guilt for um having survived, I think that's something more that their parents experience. But Mm -hmm. I think they feel deeply responsible for their parents' happiness. They Mm -hmm. know that their parents have suffered such loss, and all there Mm -hmm. is is them. They they tend not to have family. They often don't have grandparents. My friend didn't have grandparents. She didn't have aunts and uncles. She she didn't have many cousins. I mean, really, it was just, it was just their little family. It's and very it, interesting. It, it puts a great burden on them that I think mm. is, I think they feel it, but they resist it. So going back to how this would help our listeners and what you just said, all yeah. the more reason, Sharon, that we need to develop community outside of immediate family. We need yes. to form those bonds. I mean, they are so important. And yes, absolutely. And in fact, that book that was written a few years ago called Bowling Alone, really address yeah. that whole problem yeah. in our society. Yeah. Yeah. That people yeah. used to be much more involved in their communities. They mm. used to be involved in volunteer organizations, heavily involved in their churches and synagogues. That has really declined, and people well, are much more isolated than they have I, ever I been. It, yes, but I think it's more than that. I think in today's world, we don't share those. We don't have a lot of people we can share those deep things with. Everything's fine. Well, how are you, Sharon? Well, I'm fine. How's it going? Well, everything's great. You know, you don't say, well, I've had a horrible day and I'm really in pain. Only to a very close friend. So I think, you know, we need more of those, you know, those deeper connections of people we can call and say, listen, I'm struggling. Are you here? And people are very embarrassed to reveal weakness. Yes, yes. So I, I, I think, True. yeah, and the other thing I want to say, too, is, it, is and, and maybe it's my faith or my heritage of being Jewish, is that I have a friend, a male friend, he's married with a wonderful family. I've had him on the program a lot, and yeah. he's just become like an advisor to me, and because his, his lineage is so similar to mine, he's yeah. like a brother. And, yeah. you know, I can call him, and I'll tell you, I just feel 100% better afterwards, because I feel yeah. like somehow he gets it, not just from today. It's like he gets it from generations past, and I can't explain that, really. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I think what comes out in my book is that everyone belongs to a tribe. Yes, that that's how it feels. That's how it feels. To um, avoid that and try to deny it and say, well, I'm just a human being. I'm part of the human race, so why should I limit myself with my own peoplehood? Um, Usually that leads to to isolation and often even um, feelings of belonging nowhere. If you belong everywhere, you belong nowhere. So I think what you're feeling and what uh, it comes out in the book as well is that we have to embrace who we are and where we come from. You mm-hmm. don't have to limit yourself and your friendships mm-hmm. and your, your yep. social interactions. You can be friends with, with anyone who is of like mind. But to at least acknowledge that you have a place that you've come from and that you have something in common with people who share that Absolutely. lineage. Absolutely. All right, we're almost to the close. So, Sharon, what would you like to leave our listeners with? is in terms of the message of your book, which is a wonderful novel called Come Back For Me. And yeah. it's a novel set, it's about a Holocaust survivor and a quest to find his sister, but then it's another story as well. So it's all woven in. What's, what's the message of your book? I guess the message of the book is that no matter how, how difficult it is to overcome the tragedies that one has experienced in life, it is possible through interaction with other people and through one's own community. That if you find those community bonds, then you can actually find ways in which to cope with almost any tragedy that you encounter. Thank you so much, Sharon. Give people your information before we close. I'll be happy to. Come Back For Me is um, available uh, in bookstores, and it's also available online on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Noble and other uh, online bookstores. Right now, it's only available in hard copy. An e-book version will be forthcoming, but probably not until the late summer, early fall. Okay. And you can also find it on my website, which is Sharon Hart Green, all one word, dot com. All right, Sharon, thank you so much for being on the program. My pleasure. Really special. Thank, thank you. Stand the line for a minute. All right, folks, that wraps up this half of the Patricia Raskin Show. Um, stay tuned. We have a whole other wonderful interview for you coming up next right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.